While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE. Today on the Matt Wall Show, the media has found its new George Floyd, a mentally ill, violent vagrant named Jordan Neely, died while being restrained by passengers on a New York City subway, uh, passengers who he was harassing and threatening. We'll get into the details of this case and about the real motivations of the people who are exploiting it. Also, Nashville police have reversed course and decided not to release the manifesto of the trans school shooter. Plus, Barstool Sports abandons its alleged anti-cancel culture position by firing one of its employees for quoting rap lyrics. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The pro-life battle has finally left D.C., and it's going to the grassroots. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one's in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in a post-Roe America. With one million volunteers in 1,500 cities, 40 Days for Life holds peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. Because of that, they actually have a larger presence in blue states, specifically California, Former abortion clinic directors say that these vigils can cause the abortion no-show rate to go as high as 75%, which is detrimental to their business, and thank God for that. These law-abiding vigils have helped close abortion facilities in San Francisco, Seattle, and Chicago. They're also leading the effort in uh, leading the way in efforts to prevent pharmacies from dispensing chemical abortions. You can support their work and check out their locations, podcast, and free magazine at 40daysforlife.com. The fight for life is uh, certainly not over. It has entered a new phase. Uh, but still deeply important. And if you want to learn more, you can get more information on 40 Days for Life at 40daysforlife.com. Let's begin by talking about what happened, what actually happened as far as we know at this point. On Monday afternoon, a 30-year-old mentally ill vagrant named Jordan Neely, who also happens to be black, boarded a subway train in New York City and began harassing the passengers. Witnesses described Neely as hostile and erratic, He was apparently yelling and carrying on, screaming that he's, quote, ready to die and, quote, doesn't mind going to jail and, uh, quote, will hurt anyone on this train. Um, This was not Neely's first foray into this territory. He was a man with 44 prior arrests with charges ranging from assault to drug-related offenses. He also had an open warrant for a felony assault dating back to 2021. That was an open warrant at the time uh, that this all happened. Multiple people on social media have since reported that um, their own, uh, uh, you know, they've, ha- they've had their own alleged run-ins with Neely, who, according to these reports, was known to harass and threaten passengers. In other words, Neely was yet another violent repeat criminal who had been essentially granted free reign over the subway system, where crime has skyrocketed over the last few years as commuters are frequently accosted, mugged, assaulted, even raped and killed. This is not just the case in the New York City subway system, but in the city as a whole and in major cities all across the country, as we know. But on the F train on Monday afternoon, some of the passengers decided that they had enough. Rather than sitting there and waiting for Neely to lash out violently, uh, waiting for him to make good on his explicit threats to hurt people, hoping that if he starts physically attacking people that, you know, maybe they'll be able to intervene before anyone is seriously hurt or killed— Instead of that, a few passengers stepped up to do what was necessary. At least three Good Samaritans restrained Neely. One man, who's a a white man and a former Marine, had Neely in a a chokehold. Another, a black man, was holding down his arms. They held him down for several minutes 
because there was no law enforcement immediately on the scene, and they were in this uh, enclosed, uh, claustrophobic environment, and uh, they, they weren't, weren't going to do that and then just let him go. So they held on to him. Eventually, Neely lost consciousness and died. Police took at least one of the passengers who restrained him, the white man, the Marine, into custody for questioning. They released him sometime later without pressing charges. Now, what you should know is that there were over 10 people, I think it was 11 people in total, who were killed on the New York City subway just last year, along with many more accosted and assaulted. Uh, you don't know any of their names, do you? Many more fell victim to violent crime all over the city. Over 400 people were murdered just in 2022 alone, just in New York City. You probably don't know any of their names either. The problem for those victims is that uh, in a great many of those cases, the perpetrators were black. But as we know, violence carried out by black people, no matter the race of the victim, is not useful to the media or the Democrat Party, which means that those victims must remain nameless and faceless. But in this case, the man who had Jordan Neely in a headlock was white. And that is the only detail the left needs. That's it. They don't need anything else because they can make up the rest or they can, they can uh, massage the facts a little bit to get them to the point where they want them. The only absolute fact that they need and that they usually can't lie about is the racial component. Hundreds of black people are killed every single year, year after year, a trail of violence and death and misery that is only getting worse over time, not better, victim after victim, day after day after day. And the left says nothing, does nothing, does not care, does not make martyrs or heroes out of any of these victims, does not demand that we say their names. They wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they have to wait a while until eventually they, they, they come across the extremely rare occurrence where a black man dies allegedly at the hands of a white man, and that is when they leap into action, taking full advantage, which is what has happened here. So protesters, uh, in response to Jordan Neely's death, swarmed the, uh, the New York City subway system yesterday, demanding justice for Jordan Neely. The media went into full George Floyd mode, blatantly racializing the incident, while in real time, and we could see this happening in real time, they started to reshape uh, Jordan Neely himself into something other than the violent career criminal that he actually was. We could actually, if you were on social media yesterday, you could see this happening in real time as they began to sort of figure out who they want to make this guy into. And in this case, it appears that Neely sometimes dressed like Michael Jackson when he was on the subway and he would perform um, unsolicited dance routines, you know, uh, for hoping for tips from people. And this is a fact that, as far as I'm concerned, if anything, makes him even less sympathetic, but but which the media is using to paint him as some kind of struggling artist, a kind soul who wished only to bring people joy and happiness. And he just wanted to dance for people. He lived to dance. That's all. That's all it was. Many headlines have been published claiming that a white man killed a black Michael Jackson impersonator. That's how they're referring to him in the headlines, as if this is the most important detail about him. A Michael Jackson impersonator was killed. Not a career criminal, not a, not a homeless vagrant, not a mentally ill psychopath. No, not that. A Michael Jackson impersonator. It's, it's you know, almost as if, right, they tackled him to the ground and choked him out for being a Michael Jackson impersonator. 
Like the impression they want to give you from the headlines is that the passengers on the on the train got annoyed with him dancing around like Michael Jackson and then tackled him, which is not what happened at all. Democrat politicians have also been activated. AOC, Ayanna Presley, uh, the squad, you know, together have been leading the lynch mob as usual. AOC has been making frantic public statements demanding an arrest and criminal charges. Though, uh, though, of course, she doesn't, she doesn't need to wait for any of those things, least of all a conviction to pass down her own verdict, which she has already done. The mayor of New York City has been, to this point, slightly more cautious in his public response. He hasn't come out and actually said that this was a racist murder. Not yet, anyway. And that's not good enough for AOC, who is now demanding that the mayor publicly accuse this Marine of murder. So to be clear, this is an elected official demanding that a citizen who hasn't been arrested uh, or charged be, be pronounced guilty of murder without trial, without conviction, or again, without even a criminal charge. She, along with many others on the left, are openly calling for a public lynching of a man who has not been officially accused of committing any crime. Now, it remains to be seen whether they'll be able to fully repeat their George Floyd trick with Jordan Neely, uh, which, you know, means riots, looting, another uh, great racial awakening, quote unquote, an unjust and politically motivated trial and conviction, etc. But that is clearly their goal, and they are on their way towards it right now. But as these, as these deeply evil forces set to work to make full use of this incident, and to make another white man into a sacrificial victim on the altar of racial justice, what is the actual truth, right? What, what is the correct response? Who is really at fault? Well, the answer to that last question, I think, will give us the answer to the others. And uh, to that, we can say that there are two parties responsible for the death of Jordan Neely. And the first party, we cannot forget, is Jordan Neely himself. Okay, so who is first and foremost to blame for the fact that Jordan Neely is dead today? Well, Jordan Neely is. He may have been mentally ill, but he's also the only person on the planet who can directly decide how he behaves. Okay, there's one person with direct control over that, and it's Jordan Neely. He's the one who harassed a train full of passengers who were just trying to get to or uh, and from work. Uh, he's the one who announced himself explicitly as a threat, a, a threatened to hurt them. He's the one who's lived a life of crime for at least the past decade. It's his actions that precipitated the events that led to his death. If he had not chosen to announce himself as a threat to those around him, if he had not chosen to carry on the way that he did, he would still be alive today. He put the other passengers in a position of having to choose whether to gamble with their safety by allowing him to you know, run around screaming, waiting for him to do something violent, or whether they should step in and subdue him. He put them in that position. But it wasn't just him who put them in that position. The other party responsible is the Democrat Party, um, the political leadership of the city, the justice system, DAs like Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, who have made the conscious decision to keep men like Jordan Neely on the streets to continually release these people back into the public, no matter how many dozens of crimes they each commit, until the, until, until the point 
that they are either killed or they kill someone else. That's the way the justice system now operates. Commit crime, commit crime, crime after crime after crime. Keep them on the street until a death occurs, either their death or somebody else's. And actually, in the latter case where they kill somebody else, they might still stay on the streets even after that. The, the only thing that, that will definitely get them on the street, off the street, is if they're killed. But that's, not, that's a decision that the system has made. Jordan Neely belonged in prison um, or a mental asylum. He had long ago made it clear that he had no interest in being a, you know, a civilized member of society. He was a danger to his community and to himself. And this had been demonstrated time and time again. Jordan Neely could not have been clearer about this. If the system had done what it was supposed to do, if it had gotten him off the street you know, and locked him away somewhere, he would be alive today. But the left does not want to prosecute crime because crime is committed in a racially disproportionate way. It is committed in a racially disproportionate way, which means that prosecutions and convictions and incarcerations will naturally be disproportionate. But the left can't have that, so they would rather let criminals, criminals terrorize you and, and your family. In fact, it's kind of a win-win for them because if they refuse to prosecute criminals, um, they can enact their perverse idea of racial justice by, by keeping these black criminals on the street. And um, because it's only, when it comes to criminal justice reform, that's all they're really concerned about, obviously. Um, and at the same time, they can put honest citizens in a position of having to make very difficult decisions with their lives potentially on the line. And then they can exploit those situations. They can send the mob after, you know, yet another scapegoat and use the chaos they've created to advance their racial narrative. Which is why the one man that I will not blame for this is the man who is getting all of the blame right now. Now, you can argue that it's, uh, it's not wise from a self-preservation standpoint for anyone, especially any white man, to intervene in these kinds of situations anymore. Um, while, the, while the left has engineered a win-win for themselves, for you, it is a lose-lose. Now, if you decide to get involved, either you get hurt in your attempt to protect yourself or potentially killed uh, in your attempt to protect yourself and others, or you prevail in the struggle and then you find yourself pursued by a crazed leftist mob calling for your head. And then if you're arrested and charged, you'll find yourself standing before a New York City jury or a big city jury somewhere else where your conviction will have already been decided before the jury was even selected. That's what AOC is up to right now. She wants to assume, she's assuming, probably rightly so, that this innocent man is going to be um, arrested and charged. And so she right now wants, she doesn't want to take any chances. She wants to decide the verdict right now. Pollute the jury pool, have this man labeled a murderer in every headline so that when the, when the trial eventually comes, he's doomed. This makes it extremely dicey, to say the least, to play the uh, Good Samaritan role. But it also makes it all the more heroic. The, the Marine, who at this point, but likely for not much longer, remains nameless, is not only not at fault, not only in the right, but is in fact a hero. This was a heroic action he took. 
He did what the leaders of his city would not do, what the system refuses to, what the police are not allowed to do anymore in a city like New York City. He was under no moral obligation nor any legal obligation to sit silently, obediently, while a psychotic criminal vagrant runs wild, threatening and harassing innocent people. He's not under that obligation. This is an obligation that the left wants to impose on us. They want us to believe that it is our responsibility to helplessly submit ourselves to the whims of every violent scumbag we come across. But it is not so. And so this man took action. He deserves a medal for his actions. In a healthy society, that's what he would get. Yet we don't live in a healthy society. We live in a, in a depraved and confused one. Which means, tragically, I'm afraid that his reward is likely to be quite different. Now let's get to our five headlines. Are we back on? Well, clearly, someone in the control room forgot to turn on ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts 100% of my online data to protect it from cyberpunks like the ones who tried to terrorize my show today. When I use ExpressVPN, my online presence is anonymized, making it difficult for anyone to track my online activity and try to shut me down. Couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN works on all your devices, your phone, tablet, computer, wherever you are in the world, ExpressVPN can and will protect you. Don't let the cyberpunks who tried to hijack my show hijack your information. Visit expressvpn.com Walsh. Get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh. Expressvpn.com slash Walsh to learn more. You know, one other uh, note about this and... Um, you have to understand how insidious this agenda is and what they're really up to. Um, because, you know, not only is the left creating this lose-lose situation uh, for, for everybody by continually releasing these violent criminals back into, the, back into their communities, um, giving them permission. You know, every time some, a, a violent person commits a crime, and then they're arrested, and then the system just cycles them through and spits them back out. That is the system giving permission, almost explicit permission to that person. Oh, no, go continue doing more of that. Or, or worse. So it creates a, a lose-lose situation, but it also, it also has a deeply demoralizing effect. And that is so much of, of the left's cultural agenda is to demoralize you, to break your spirits. Um, because think about, you know, the, the other option when you're in this position and let's say you're on, if you make the mistake now, look, I would, the first thing is if you can, you got to get out of these cities. You just have to get out of the cities. Um, if you live in one of these cities, you got to get out of it because, um, it's, it's like a matter of time before you encounter, uh, you're in a situation like this, uh, where you potentially fall victim to crime and then you're in that lose-lose situation. You know, whatever you do, you know, if you, God forbid you defend yourself, um, the entire system is going to be against you. So you got to get out. If you are there, I certainly wouldn't be riding the subway. I would, I would choose anything over that. Um, but, you know, if you are in that position and there's someone on the subway and they're harassing and they're threatening, or maybe they're actually committing assault. There's been many videos like that. We have somebody like Jordan Neely 
homeless, psychotic, vagrant type committing physical assault against someone. And usually in those videos, you see, you can see the, the other people that are sitting there and not doing anything to intervene, um, which morally is the wrong choice. But they're also being pushed to make that choice because of what we just talked about. They, in, in their heads, they're running through the situation and they're saying, well, look, if I get involved here, um, then I can end up getting killed. But even if I don't, let's say I have to do this person, now, now, now my whole life could be over. And I've got my own family. And then I end up going, end up going to prison. I mean, everyone's sitting there. They're, they're cycling through that in their heads. And so then many of them choose not to do anything. But then they have to live with that for the rest of their lives. You know, the, the experience of seeing something like this and not acting because for the sake of self-preservation, because you're afraid, um, and not acting, that becomes incredibly demoralizing. And as I said, spirit breaking. Um, so it is, it's a lose-lose across the board. You're on a subway, somebody like Jordan Neely boards, it you can't there's there's nothing good could come of it for you. And that's exactly what they want. All right. Um, and it, one other point too is that we, we keep hearing how uh, like he was homeless, you know. Um, and we're going to hear a lot of emphasis on that. So the two things that you're going to hear about Jordan Neely, that he was a Michael Jackson impersonator and that he was homeless. Um, because those are the things that are supposed to make him, you know, the most sympathetic to us. And I've already, there's already people, many people on the left say he was, he was killed for being homeless, which of course is, is not the case at all. They, they didn't say, oh, he's, he's a homeless guy. Let's get him. That's not what happened. But you also see here that, that, um, in many cases, people who are homeless, like there's a there's a reason why they're they're homeless. Um, that these are not law-abiding, sober people who've fallen on hard times. Now, that can happen. There are examples of that. It's rather extreme. For the, for the most part, though, these you know it's it's situations like this. All right. Speaking of criminals, we know about that, uh, the trans terrorist here in Nashville and what happened uh, last month. We've been waiting for this manifesto that we were told about to come out. So we, we were told about this immediately, that there was a manifesto uh, and there were indications by the police chief immediately in the, uh, in the initial press conferences that the manifesto indicates that the, uh, the, the shooter's trans identity played a role in the attack and somehow motivated it. It was all very vague and cryptic, but he was clearly indicating that. So we've been waiting to actually see the manifesto. Then last week we were told that the release of the manifesto is, um, is imminent. It's going to come out soon. But now here's the latest from the Daily Wire. Nashville police have backtracked on plans to release the so-called manifesto of the trans school shooter who last month killed six people, including three children citing a pending lawsuit. The decision announced Wednesday comes amid substantial public pressure to release documents believed to lay out the motive of the 28-year-old shooter who was killed by police inside the Covenant School to end the March 27th attack. Metro Nashville Police Department officials notify the public in a terse statement, quote, due to pending litigation filed this week, the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department has been advised by counsel to hold the release of the um, records related to the shooting at the Covenant School pending orders of direction of the court. Several media outlets, including the Daily Wire, have filed freedom of information requests in an effort to win release 
uh, of the documents. The requests were denied with authorities citing a provision that allows them to withhold records relating to an ongoing case. But late last month, police officials said they were preparing to make the papers public. And now, um, and now that situation, that, that decision has been, for the time being, reversed, which is not a, not a surprise at all. And now we're in a position where when this manifesto is eventually released, and I, I, think, I think eventually a version of it will be released, but when it is, um, how can we even trust it? The fact that it was held for so long and there's been so much political pressure to not release it and the FBI is involved in all of this and they're about to release it and then they decided not to. And eventually when they do, um, how can we trust what's in it? It'd be very difficult to trust. Because if they release a manifesto and, um, and well, would you look at that? There's nothing at all indicating anything trans-related. Yeah, it was a trans... A terrorist happened to be trans. School shooter happened to be trans. Yeah, the police chief did indicate rather explicitly early on that uh, the, the motivation had something to do with the trans identity, but it's, it's not in there, it turns out. If that happens, and that's seeming increasingly likely to me, uh, how can we possibly trust that? There was, there was never any real reasonable argument for not releasing the manifesto. Yeah, yeah there it's a, it's a criminal case but the the culprit is dead first of all so you're not going to be filing you're not, you're not no no one's going to, to court here at least the uh, the shooter is not she's dead in the ground so that never made a lot of sense and then we started hearing this this narrative about how well the manifesto lays out um, her plans you know and she wanted to do a lot more than uh, the covenant shooting. She wanted to go beyond that. She had other targets. It was very all, all very detailed. And so we can't release that because then it becomes some sort of security threat. Why, why is it a threat? And if even if it is, well, that stuff, you, can, you, could, you could redact that part of it. Okay, the part where she is talk describing the exact method she wanted to use. And if you want to argue, well, we don't want to put that in the public to give somebody else uh, a blueprint for committing these crimes. If that's how detailed it is, then you could redact that. The thing that, that people are interested to know and what we deserve to know is um, what exactly motivated this. And if the, uh, the rhetoric from trans activists and from the media, but of course I repeat myself, claiming trans genocide, you know, if you're, if you're misgendered, quote unquote, then that's a threat to your very existence and all that. Did this rhetoric um, help to motivate the actions of the shooter? The, 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 that's the kind of information that we need, and we have every right to know. And there's no argument related to security for not showing us that, telling us that. It's not going to, I, I cannot see how it would impede any sort of criminal investigation into a criminal who, again, is dead, thankfully. All right, this is from the post-millennial Barstool Sports. The popular sports and pop culture brand has fired one of its hosts, Ben Mintz, after he said the N-word while reciting rap lyrics on a live stream. Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy made the announcement on Wednesday and expressed his disappointment with the decision. However, the decision was made by Barstool's parent company, Penn Entertainment, due to concerns that the incident could jeopardize regulatory gambling licenses across the country. 
Mintz apologized for his actions, claiming that it was an honest mistake and said that he meant no harm. The slur was uttered during his show, Wake Up Mincy, where he was reading the lyrics to uh, First of the Month by Bone Thugs and Harmony. And he was, so he was reciting the lyrics or reading them, I don't know. And that's a word that's in the lyrics. But, but you can't, you, you can't, in no context, of course, do we know, can, you can, is, is it okay to utter that word depending on your skin pigmentation? Because we know that this word, it's a, it's a magical incantation. It's like a curse that, you know, you find in, a, in an old dusty book in the attic and you, you, you dust off the book and you open it and you, you recite, you, you say the words in the book and it has some kind of like, just saying the words has some sort of magical effect. Um, that's what this particular word is, we're told. That's how it's presented. Where you cannot even utter the syllables in any context, even while quoting someone. You can't say the act. You could say N-word, which, which it still conveys, the, it still communicates the word. When you say N-word, well, everyone immediately knows what you mean. So what is the, the moral distinction between saying N-word or actually uttering the syllables, syllables themselves while quoting someone? What's the distinction? There isn't one. It's totally arbitrary. Um, but this is the arbitrary, completely ridiculous rule that has been imposed. And, um, and so it was decided that this guy has to pay the price for it. You got it. You got it. Well, oh, you said the word. Technicality, you're out. You, you lose your livelihood and your job, you know, and everything. No one, no one can morally justify that um, or justify it on any other grounds, but that's the way it's supposed to be, apparently. Uh, going back to Post Millennial, it says, despite apparent pushback from Portnoy, uh, Barstool CEO Erica Nardini and longtime talent Dan Katz, Penn Entertainment made the call to terminate Mintz's employment. Penn Entertainment acquired 36% of Barstool Sports from the Chernin Group for $163 million, $163 million in early 2020, and bought the remaining 64% for an additional $388 million in February 2021. Uh, Portnoy said that, uh, you know, this wasn't up to him. He doesn't like it. He then posted a, a video later addressing fans who were calling him out as a sellout and as someone who's participating in cancel culture. And he responded to that with another video. I think we have that. So I get every Tom, Dick, and Harry since this Mizzy thing. Be like, Prez, you're sellout. You're sellout. Hey, Prez, you sold out. Well, as the kids say, no doy, no f- doy I sold out. You're just figuring that out? I started a company and I f- sold it the f- out. Made hundreds of millions, made millions for everybody who grinded in Milton. Yeah, we sold the f- out and that's what you do when you're an entrepreneur. You start this little company, you dream one day, you sell the f- out. So no doy. Still means this decision sucks. I hate it. Makes me want to puke. But guess what? When I sold out, a couple words, a couple things, it's very clear. You say these things, those decisions are no longer mine. I can't protect you. You know why? Because I sold out. No doy. Uh, okay, well, he's, he's announcing that he sold out. Now, now it's, it's, I've never been in the position where someone's offered me, uh, you know, what was it? In total, almost 400, over $400 million in total. Um, no one's ever offered me that kind of money for anything that I've done. And so uh, I can imagine it's, you know, quite an incentive to take the offer. Um, and I don't blame him for taking it. You know, I, I don't, I, that in and of itself, I wouldn't call selling out necessarily, but it does mean that if you consider barstool sports to be some sort of, uh, you know, some, some, some sort of organization that stands at, stands against cancel culture, 
stands for any kind of values at all, if that's, if that's the, the notion you had in your head, well, then that notion should be should, should, a long time ago, but especially now, I think you should s- see it better. It's an entertainment company, and that's fine. It does entertainment. I'm not particularly a big guy. I don't really follow what they do, but it's, you know, it's entertainment. Um, apparently, they even they took down their anti-cancel culture merchandise from their store, sort of admitting that, well, they can't really, you know, they can't claim to be against cancel culture anymore. And they can't because that is, yes, from a financial and profit-driven perspective, I can understand why you would take the money. Someone offers you 400 plus million dollars, you take it. I get that. But the moment that you do that, well, now you are subject to the whims of this giant corporation that owns you. And you, you can't, you can't stand against cancel culture anymore. Um, you can't be relied on to uphold any kind of value system whatsoever because you are owned by them. And the only thing they, the only thing that the corporation cares about is the money. So that's what we learned about Barstool, but really it's something we should have already known. Um, and it is, again, a decision that nobody, no one can logically or morally defend. You know, the idea that there's a that there is a word that cannot be uttered under any circumstance is completely insane. And it is not something that there is no other word in the English language or any other language in existence that we have those kinds of rules for. Any other, there's, there's other words that are slurs. There are words that are that we would consider vulgarity and profanity, um, and all kinds of words that I don't say on this show uh, because we try not to use profanity and vulgarity on the show. Um, words that I don't think you should use, words that you shouldn't use around kids, and so on. All kinds of words like this. Um, but there's no other word that we would say. Well, under no circumstance at all can it even be uttered, even in in, in the context of quoting somebody. And certainly there's no other word where we would say, well, judging on your skin pigment, if it's this shade, you can't say it at all under any circumstance. But if it's a little bit of a darker shade, then say it all the time and it's totally fine. So there's no context where it can be said over here. There is no context where it can't be said over here. And we are going to decide that based on how dark your skin is. Makes no sense. And I think we all are aware of that. Um, this is a report from the Daily Wire. It says, eighth graders had the lowest U.S. history scores on record in 2022 and among the lowest civic scores, according to the Department of Education, revealed, uh, which they revealed this week. The Education Department on Wednesday released the first federal history and civics testing data since before the COVID pandemic. The data shows that the last few years have erased the progress made since the 1990s on eighth grade students' knowledge of history and civics. Only about 13% of eighth graders met proficiency standards for U.S. history last year. Um, 13%. 13% of eighth graders by these standards are proficient in history. Proficient means students can explain major themes, periods, events, people, ideas, and turning points in the nation's history. Nation's history. Only 1% of students who took the test were rated as advanced in U.S. history. Only about one-fifth of students were proficient or better in civics. 
In addition, last year, more students also performed below basic levels in both U.S. history and civics. The data shows four in 10 eighth graders scored uh, below basic in history, while about 31% scored below basic in civics. Eighth graders got an average history score of 250 out of 500, five points lower than 2018. They scored an average uh, civic score of 150 out of 300, three points lower than 2018. So everything is headed in exactly um, the wrong direction. And that's why I always say that we see these kind of dumb guy on the street um, interviews that everybody does now. You find them all over YouTube where someone goes out, you know, goes out to the, the boardwalk somewhere down on, on the street and goes to a college campus and starts asking people basic questions, especially about U.S. history, geography, civics, um, you know, things like, you know, uh, what what in what century was Abraham Lincoln president? Just give me the century, that sort of thing. And we find in these videos that people—it's uh, really easy to find people who know absolutely nothing. Apparently, they they have they have almost zero percent knowledge about civics, history, any of these uh, geography. And we want to tell ourselves when we see those videos that it's kind of cherry picking. And yeah, I mean, you could go out and. You could interview 100 people and maybe you talk to 95 who are basically intelligent, pick out five who are stupid, string that together in a montage, and you can present things a certain way. Um, But I I actually think, tragically and uh, in a quite terrifying way, that those videos offer a pretty accurate picture of American culture at at this point. You know, there's a reason why it's so easy to do. It, it shouldn't be. We, our, our society is, we have, on paper anyway, this is by far the most educated, you know, modern Western society, American culture, this is the most educated society that's ever existed. But almost, go, almost any 20-year-old that you come across um, had at least 13 years of formal education. And then millions more went on for advanced, what's supposed to be advanced, higher education. Uh, it's quite unprecedented in history to have, a, to have a, a, a culture that is so educated on paper. And that's why it should actually be very difficult to go out in public and find grown adults who know nothing at all. But it's not which tells us that the education system is an abysmal failure. And it's been, it's been trending this way for a long time. We could talk about why it's a failure. We've talked about that many times, but it is a failure. And that is actually, that's the first problem with the education system. The woke um, indoctrination, all the rest of it, it's a big problem. It's a major problem. That's reason enough to not send your kid to public school. But the first problem is that it's not actually succeeding in educating kids. Something to think about before you send your kids into that system. All right, before we get to the comment section, this is an important video. Uh, Another viral TikTok of someone uh, giving us a demonstration of the plight of overweight travelers, especially as we go into the summer, people are traveling, they're going on vacation. Well, if you're overweight, um, it's it's a real struggle. And here it is. 
Things Plus Size Travelers Hate Part 4 Struggling to find plus size friendly accommodations The fat tax of having to pay more for everything Having to do hours of research before travel Struggling to find plus-size-friendly rental cars The lack of plus-size-friendly seating at restaurants Struggling to find cute plus-size travel clothing Not knowing if the locals are rude to fat people Having to share an Uber and being physically uncomfortable Inaccessible bathrooms that aren't plus-size-friendly Uncomfortable seating everywhere hmm. Well, yeah, obviously that means if, if that's what you're uh, encountering Then that means that society, it's society's fault, everyone else's fault, and you're oppressed Right. If you're going out and you're finding that you you can't fit into cars, that you need you need special accommodations for automobiles because you cannot fit inside an average automobile. You can't fit inside a bathroom stall. Uh, you can't you can't sit on most chairs. Well, if that's what you're finding, then then obviously uh, the problem is not you; it's everybody else. And so we have to, yet again, with so many different victim groups that are demanding that we restructure society, we restructure everything, tear everything down and rebuild it with them specifically in mind. And this is uh, yet another group. Change everything so that they don't, we have to change everything so that they don't have to change anything. That's uh, kind of victimhood 101 these days. Let's get to the comment section. Ronnie says, there's a lot to agree with here, most of it in fact, but saying that all that could possibly be seen as porn, such as things as pure nudity and more, should be taken away from view, doesn't seem realistic or even healthy. But we were talking yesterday about um, age restrictions, so to take it away from the view of children, and uh, that, that's an undertaking, it's an undertaking, given the fact that this stuff is all over the internet, and to, to control and contain it, it's not an easy thing to do, but it can be done. So it's realistic in that sense. Um, and, you know, and, I, and I get it. There are, there are always people who, uh, anytime we have this conversation, they, they'll ask, well, what, how do you define pornography? How do we know what, what, what porn is exactly? Well, you know, quoting the Supreme Court justice years ago, it's, it's, we know it when we see it. It's, it's actually not that confusing. It's only in an academic kind of theoretical way that we could act as though the definition of porn is ambiguous. We all know what it is. So can you, Ronnie, I would ask you, is there an example of, give me an example of something that somebody might reasonably be described as pornography and yet you would say is not. So what exactly are we talking about? I guess we can't have this conversation until you start giving me examples of things that, that you would say are like kind of on the borderline or the gray area. Um, so what are some examples of things that, that somebody might say, well, that's pornographic and children shouldn't see it. And yet you would say, well, no, I think kids should be able to see that. I think reasonable people can agree on this much more than uh, we may we may think. Uh, Joshua says, if the road is for cars, the bike lane for bikes, and the sidewalk for walking, where is the Matt Walsh-approved path for my wheelchair and I? Your words hurt, Matt, right in the disability. Uh, well, the sidewalk. 
Um, the sidewalk is where you can have wheelchairs. And I actually, I, no, you, you're misunderstanding me. I never said the bike lane is for bikes. I'm saying the bike lane's for cars, okay? I'm saying the bike lane shouldn't exist. So let's get rid of the bike lane. And you know what? If we re- get rid of the bike lane, then we could, uh, I'd be in favor of splitting the difference. So get, get rid of the stupid bike lane, and then you can expand the road out about, you know, in, into about half of what the bike lane was, expand the sidewalk out a little bit, and then even more room for uh, wheelchairs. And but that counts as pedestrian. More room for cars, more room for pedestrians. Let the cyclists find somewhere else. It's not up. It's not up to me to find their. It's not up to me to solve that problem for them. Uh, Michael says, "How quickly we forget the repressed memories scam and how therapists, quote unquote, led kids to recall false memories of child sexual abuse in order to prosecute people." These days, they lead kids into falsely realizing they're the opposite sex. Kids who probably need counseling for depression, or who will who will after uh, who will after being butchered. Well, how quickly we forget so many examples of these um, of the the psych, psychological industry, you know, inventing mental illnesses, giving people ideas, false ideas. Um, many examples of this. You know, there was a time when the, the multiple personality disorder was all the rage, and people were being diagnosed all over the place with having multiple personalities. And then it kind of went away, and nobody was being diagnosed with it anymore. So there was a period when it was happening all the time; it was all the rage, and then it stopped happening. Nobody's being diagnosed, and now and now it's kind of it's uh, it's it's ebbing up again, thanks to TikTok. And a bunch of kids convincing themselves they have multiple personalities. And most, more than likely, they could find a therapist they can go to. It was, oh, yeah, that's true. So lots of, uh, lots of fads and trends like this that the psychological industry is susceptible to. Not just susceptible to, but they, they, they drive these trends. Greg says, why do you hate amusement parks so much? Did you have a traumatic experience as a child or something? Did Mickey Mouse refuse to give you a hug? Uh, yes. Well, not Mickey Mouse. It was it, it, not, I never went to Disney World. Um, but I did have a traumatic experience. It was with a carnival ride, so maybe it's not exactly fair to pin that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I need to go to therapy and uh, someone would, would dig into this and find that may, maybe this is uh, underpinning some of my anti-theme park stance. But I did have a traumatic experience with it with a carnival ride as a child, which I think everybody has had at least one. As a child, we've all had at least one traumatic carnival ride experience. And, uh, and again, it's not exactly fair to compare the two because at least at a theme park, not a big theme park guy, as you know, but the rides are uh, sturdy, they're stationary, like they're built and they stay in one place and uh, they're, we would hope, well-maintained. Carnival rides, you are folded up and put in trucks and driven all around and then they're unfolded and set up. It's amazing, actually, that carnivals are still legal. You know, in this nanny state environment where plastic straws are illegal, it's still somehow okay to have these traveling death traps that go all around the country. So I was at a carnival. I was eight or nine years old, and I got on this ride. I think it was, it was called the uh, Kamikaze Murder Machine or whatever. And I got on it. It spins around and all that. And it's designed to be a very unpleasant experience. But as a kid, for some reason, you, you find that exciting. So I got on this ride, and I was tall enough to ride. But then I sat down, and the guy pushed, uh, it's one of these uh, shoulder harness things, and he pushed the harness down, but it didn't go all the way down. It didn't click. 
And I tried to wave him down. And I said, this harness is not working. And he didn't hear me or he pretended not to. And he hit the button and the thing started twirling around and the harness was going up and I'm clinging onto the harness about to fall out of the ride. And I kept, I was yelling to the guy to turn the ride off and he just smiled and laughed and kept it going. I think because he thought that I was just another kid afraid of the ride. And so the carnies, they'll, they'll make it go faster because of that, because they find it funny. Uh, or maybe he thought I was going to die and he didn't care. I don't know. But uh, the ride eventually ended and I survived. That was my traumatic experience on a carnival ride. It's kind of a, but I think it's a bit of a coming of age experience that all kids have to have. We all need to have one experience where we're almost killed by a carnival ride. But maybe that's what, uh, maybe you're onto something. Maybe that's what this is all about. When leftists tell you that America is systemically racist, they're lying. All evidence points to the contrary. And uh, every attempt to fix this non-existent problem in the name of equity is making the country and the situation worse. Heather McDonald is shutting down that malignant ideology of anti-racism in her brand new book, When Race Trumps Merit, How Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. McDonald is unafraid to break taboos about academic achievement and crime. She provides the data and the life stories that show the damage being done to this country in real time, all in the name of equity. The book is a must-read for anyone who's concerned about the present state of the country and also worried for our future. When Race Trump's Merit is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold, go get it now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we have a viral video from somebody on TikTok, which is being shared primarily by people on the right who primarily find this person to be stupid and her opinions worthless. And that's generally the way that it works with these uh, TikTok videos, of course. And very often the people are stupid and their opinions are effectively worthless. But in this case, I think that there's um, a little bit more to be said about it. So let's first watch the clip. All I can ever think about is the fact that this is not the way that life is supposed to be. The whole working your life away just to have a little bit of money, a little bit of free time to do things that you actually enjoy. It's such a waste of life. And the older generation will be the first to call my generation lazy for saying things like that, not realizing that they're just a bitch to capitalism and they're brainwashed. I hate my stupid, racist, xenophobic ancestors who set up this system that sucks for everyone, except for like the 1%. This stupid capitalist society has made it to where no one can do things for themselves anymore because we've been brought up to depend on everything. Grocery stores, restaurants on every corner, a convenience store on every corner because we can't do anything for ourselves and we have no community all we rely on is people who are getting paid and overworked their whole lives to get things that we need that's not community it's all nothing but a capitalist hellscape that sucks the life out of everyone okay well she uh gets a few things wrong here just a few starting most importantly with the very common misconception that that happiness means having a lot of free time to do what you want as she says now, if that was true, then virtually no one who ever lived on Earth up until the industrial age, at least, was happy. Um, because free time, as she conceives it, is an extremely modern phenomenon. I doubt that our ancestors even had a word for it, you know, because it didn't exist. People were not working nine to five jobs. Uh, they, were not, they were not busy in the way that we think of busyness, because we think of busyness as something that's uh, loud and fast. Business, uh, you know, it's, it's, busyness is, is work assigned to you by your job. It's text messages coming in and phone calls and driving around to different places. You know, when we talk about being busy, that's what we mean. And that kind of busy um, didn't exist for most people who've ever lived on the planet. But they did have work. 
They had to work to survive. Their lives were built on and around work. There would not have been a day that went by without work. We think of free time as time without any kind of work at all. Time dedicated to total and complete leisure. That's free time to us. Free time is sitting on the couch for hours, ordering food on DoorDash, relaxing in a very sedentary position. Um, some people will spend days at a time like this. If you don't have any kids, then they'll say your, your whole weekend could be like that. But historically, unless you were like a, a pharaoh or a Roman emperor or something, that kind of leisure, that kind of free time was not on the menu. Indeed, this kind of free time is an invention of our modern Western capitalist system. It's what, it's what has made it possible for people to spend hours and days at a time doing nothing in a state of complete leisure, avoiding nearly all forms of work, even the most menial kinds. She wants free time, but she hates the thing that gives her free time. And even though she already certainly has you know, lots of free time, she's not happy, which tells us that having free time, that is the avoidance of work, is not in and of itself a recipe for happiness. If anything, um, being, you know, having too much free time and avoiding work too much, I think our modern experience would testify, is a recipe for unhappiness. She's also wrong, of course, in her hatred of our ancestors. To hate your own ancestors, it's to be a branch that curses the roots of the tree that you're attached to. You would not have your existence at all without your ancestors. You would have neither the positives nor the negatives. You would have nothing and be nothing. And as it happens, in the case of this girl and all the rest of us, we can thank our ancestors for many more positives than negatives. As we already established, all the things that she has and supposedly likes and wants more of, free time, leisure, etc., she only has because of the work, innovation, and sacrifice of the ancestors whose graves she now spits on. And most of the things that she doesn't want and complains about, work, hardship, she would have that no matter what choices her ancestors made, given that these are fundamental realities of human existence. You know, there's, there, there is no economic system that can get you off the hook on those things. But she's not wrong about everything. Um, she makes the point, and it's a profound one, that many people in modern society are effectively helpless. They cannot do anything for themselves. They have no skills. They have no capacity to be self-sufficient. And even those who are most skilled and most self-sufficient still rely heavily on giant institutions and corporations to provide them with so many things. And while this is all happening, we've also become more isolated, less community-focused. We don't even, many of us know our neighbors who live next door. The social experience has migrated online into our phones behind the screen where we can connect with people, but that connection is always limited by the technology that facilitates it, and nothing feels exactly real. She seems to have noticed all of this, and it's good that she's noticed it. But the next step for anyone who notices this problem is to do something about it. And doing something about it doesn't mean going on social media to rant about the evils of capitalism. It means changing this dynamic in your own life. Um, here's the thing. Modern society does not make it impossible to develop skills. It doesn't make it impossible to find community. It doesn't make it impossible to find meaning and purpose in life. Instead, what it does is that it makes it possible to not do those things, which is really what she's complaining about. Modern society gives us the option of doing next to nothing, developing no skills, remaining 
effectively isolated, coasting by, and yet still surviving. This was never an option historically. Because historically, if you had no skills, you would simply die. If you didn't find a community and a support system, you'd probably just die. Life required certain things that it no longer requires. The option to coast, to live a low-effort life, has been opened to us. It is a door that we can walk through, and many people do. I mean, think about this for a moment. We obviously don't need to know how to kill, catch, or grow our own food. And that work, um, that, that's work that, that most people on Earth have had to do through history. But, but most of us escape that burden completely. And it's been that way basically since the industrial age kicked into full gear. But these days, we don't even need to know how to cook or prepare our food. We can live without ever growing, killing, catching, or cooking our own food. And many people do live this way. So you could live alone and survive for decades and decades to a ripe old age without having the slightest clue how to do anything with the food that you have but chew it and swallow it. That is the degree of removal, the depths of laziness that we can choose. But we don't have to. There are other ways to live. But you have to choose those ways. And you have to essentially make your life more difficult on purpose. So if you want to have a more direct relationship with the food that you eat, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to learn how to cook. I'm going to learn how to cook from scratch. I'm going to start to have a garden. I'm going to grow my own vegetables and all that. You can do all that. It's a great thing to do. But it's more difficult. And so, and you don't need to. So anyone who's ever had a garden and, uh, and gone through this and the hassle of it, you can have moments where you think, like, why am I doing this? I could just go to Kroger down the street and get all this stuff. But then if you do that and you live that way, then you end up like, like this girl talking about how, well, it's like, no, I, I don't know how to do anything. And it's, everything's being handed to me and it feels like there's no point. So, yeah, you can go the other way, but you are making your, you are, you are creating work for yourself and you're creating hardship. Um, and you have to be willing to do that. And you have to, be, have to be willing to live intentionally while having the discipline to stay on that path even as easier ones, or at least ones with less resistance, are available to you. You can develop skills. You can learn to, to care for yourself to a great extent. You can even form families and communities. All of this is possible. Modern society offers a certain way to live, a way that's easy but empty. And we can take it up on that offer or not. You don't have to be miserable or alone or helpless. That's not a requirement. It's an item on the menu. It may be the most popular item. It may be the one that the restaurant is always pushing on us, but it's not the only one. The others just take discipline and effort, which is a price that many people, including this girl, uh, at this point, don't want to pay. And that is why she is still ultimately, unfortunately, today canceled. That'll do it for uh, this portion of the show. move over to the members block. You can become a member today by using code Walsh at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. 